The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Company's Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve a practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, Thinking Bigger Business Media Publisher. Now, there are more than 10,000 entrepreneurship classrooms in the U.S. They reach more than half a million students, but the vast majority of educators are teaching entrepreneurship from a textbook rather than letting students experience it for themselves. And Diana Kander, an entrepreneur and a senior fellow at the Kauffman Foundation, hopes to change that. Diana joins us today to talk about all in Startup, her new novel about the trials and tribulations of starting a business, and she has an accompanying curriculum that she hopes to use to get students out of the classroom to experience launching a venture themselves. The books received acclaim from the likes of Tony Shea of Zappos and Silicon Valley serial entrepreneur Steve Blank, and we're happy to have Diana here today to talk about it. Welcome to the show today, Diana. Thanks so much for having me on. Okay, you say that teaching entrepreneurship should be a lot less like teaching accounting, which, of course, is theory-based, and a lot more like teaching basketball, which is hands-on. Why do you believe this? A lot of entrepreneurship classrooms are sprouting up from demand from students, and universities are uh, responding to it by adding uh, entrepreneurship classrooms, Mm -hmm. and they usually put them in the business school. and. Uh, Teaching entrepreneurship is a lot different than teaching uh, normal management or business class because uh, entrepreneurs and startups uh, are unpredictable enterprises, and you can't uh, can't prepare for it. Like in management, you can't uh, learn how to create a five-year plan uh, at the very beginning of a journey because you don't know how it's going to go. Most of the things that you assume to be correct could very well be wrong. So what you need to learn how to do is deal with uncertainty. And it's difficult to learn how to deal with uncertainty from a textbook. You have to just deal with uncertainty and have hands-on experience. You have to feel it. Right. So that's why I use basketball as an analogy. Uh, You you could never learn how to play basketball uh, just by reading about it in a textbook. Uh, You could read about it for years, but uh, it doesn't mean you'd make your first basket when you finally got your hands on a ball. Right, and you you have a very uh, effective video on on your website that shows a guy sitting in the middle of a basketball court with surrounded by papers and reading a book, and he's all excited about learning how to play basketball, and he has his little plan mapped out where he's going to uh, read this textbook, and he figures in about a year he'll be ready to play basketball, or I think even he says, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he says, I think I'll be ready for the NBA maybe, and it's so effective because when you think about it, you know, how ludicrous is that, that somebody could just sit on the middle of the basketball court and learn how to play basketball? You're absolutely right. Yeah, and it's so different than a lot of the other skills uh, that you can learn in school. So if you take an accounting class, for instance, once you learn a skill in accounting, you have that skill for the rest of your life, and then you just spend your professional career applying it. And there's nothing like that with entrepreneurship. It's really uh, learning how to deal with uncertainty, learning how to investigate, uh, how to uh, 
discover customer problems, how to validate that you found a solution uh, that people are willing to buy. So uh, those those are skills that you constantly have to be developing. It's uh, like an like an exercise. You have to exercise your uh, muscles uh, to keep them going. There's no stopping point at which you can say, "Oh, I've done enough work." Right. Let's talk about your book, All In Startup. It's a novel. Tell us about the book and why you chose a novel as the format. Yeah, I feel that um, fictional stories are uh, excellent tools at conveying uh, lessons, especially when you talk about uh, kids uh, learning something in school. Uh, you know, a uh, very small percentage of uh, students actually read all of the assigned reading. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the lessons of entrepreneurship are incredibly valuable. Uh, we've uh, discovered a lot in the last seven years about how to create uh, more successful enterprises from the very beginning. And so I wanted to make sure uh, people would get through to the end, and so I thought I could wrap it in an interesting story about a guy in the World Series of Poker and um, who encounters this mysterious mentor who's helping him out, um, and uh, people have been responding really, really well to it. Well, yeah, it's something that they can identify with and, and get involved in as opposed to theory, as as you've said before. And then you've taken the novel and you have created a curriculum around it. Tell us about that. Sure. So most professors who are teaching entrepreneurship courses, and of course there's 10,000, so that means there's lots of exceptions to this, but over 90% of the people teaching these courses don't have any personal experience uh, in entrepreneurship. And so they feel that something is maybe missing in their classroom, uh, but they don't know exactly how to get their students to hands-on practice. Mm-hmm. And so I try to make um, a very easy uh, way for them to um, for them to get their students involved. So the main character in the book uh, spends there's like very detailed scenes of him uh, talking to customers and trying to figure out if uh, there's a problem in what he thinks is a problem, and uh, other detailed scenes of him trying to sell his solution. And students can actually go out and do the exact same activities as the main character in the book and see if they get uh, results. Okay. It's a very easy way uh, to give students hands-on practice with entrepreneurship. Absolutely. And you have launched an Indiegogo campaign that is designed to get the books into the hands of professors actually around the world. Tell us about that campaign and why it's important to get this book into their hands, what you hope to achieve. Yeah, so um, there's 10,000 of these classrooms, and I thought the best way to let people know about them is uh, to send them materials in the curriculum and examples of professors who apply the curriculum and uh, results that they've gotten from it into every uh, single one of these professors. And so um, I can't do it on my own, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I took to uh, crowdfunding and uh the internet to, to help me accomplish the goal, and it's been an incredible ride. Um, we set an initial goal of ten thousand dollars because I, I didn't know how it was going to go, right. and uh, within twenty four hours, we exceeded that goal. It was incredible. So, um, so, so tell us about how to participate in this. Uh, first of all, um, how do they find your page and read about the campaign, and then, if they're interested, how can they participate? Sure. Um, they just have to go to allinstartup.com. Um, it's a really simple URL, and it'll point them uh, directly to the page, and they'll find all the information about what I'm trying to do um, and uh, specifics about the book and, and the campaign. And 100% of the funds are being used to uh, ship the materials to the professors. 
Okay, so all in startup campaign, or I'm um, excuse me, all in startup dot com, and that's right. And you can find all of the information about the campaign, about the book, about uh, the methodology, and so forth that you're, you're you propose here. And, and again, let's let's go back and talk in a little bit more detail about that campaign. I go out to the campaign site, and I want to do some. At what different levels do you have available, and what do those levels? Uh, because there might be some people here today who are really interested in this and would like to do it. What what are the different levels, and what do they earn? Uh, what will they accomplish? Sure. Um, well, people can contribute at any level. Any amount of money helps. Uh, my overall goal is to get over a thousand entrepreneurs. Uh, to contribute to the campaign so that when I send the materials to the professors, it's not just me right. uh, who thinks this is a good idea, but over a 1,000 people who have started their own companies and uh, sold products and made payroll who think that this is a more valuable way to teach entrepreneurship because of the personal experience, and I think that that will make a much bigger difference to the professors who are uh, receiving the materials. Um, so uh, any amount helps but uh, you can choose one of a number of different uh, perks. You can actually sponsor a classroom uh, so that an individual professor uh, that you know or care about gets the materials, or you can sponsor a school. So if you graduated from somewhere and you want to make sure that the next generation of entrepreneurs who go through those classrooms um, get the best possible experience, um, then you can sponsor an entire school, and we'll make sure that every professor who touches entrepreneurship at that university or community college gets the materials. Yeah, and what a, what a great uh, way of doing this. I like the way you're thinking here that if you went out and tried to touch these 10,000 professors, that well, it it doesn't carry as much weight. But when it seems like it's a grassroots movement from people who've been there, done that, saying, if only I had been able to learn how to launch and grow my business using something like this, how much further along perhaps I'd be right now. When they hear those kinds of messages, it should, anyway, resonate that much more. So, uh, Yeah. I mean, as an entrepreneur, Kelly, imagine if you had three or four years in school where you got to actually practice building businesses. Well, as a 21-year-old who had, you know, unbelievable experience and we're so prepared to actually uh, choose entrepreneurship as a prof- profession at an early age. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and to work perhaps side by side with a mentor in the community who can show you some of the, the ropes. A lot of times the mentorship programs that are in existence now, you already have to achieve certain amounts of success. You have to have been in business for so many years and reached revenue levels and have so many employees before you're eligible. So uh, what, what a leg up to have this experience while you're still in school. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, Diana, and when we get back, I want to talk about your experiences and what brought you to this point. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio. We'll be right back. You want real results. You want your efforts to count for something. And you don't have time to waste. We understand. That's why the Executive MBA program at Benedictine College is the program more than 400 alums say help them accelerate their careers and enhance their approach to management and leadership. You're ready immediately to contribute to your organization's success. We invite you to check out benedictine.edu slash EMBA to learn more about our program and what it has to offer. Hi, I'm Jason Lofton, CEO, President of QTI Incorporated. 
Every Friday, we discuss ways for small business owners to prosper and excel in their industry. So join us every Friday, 10 a.m. Central Time, right here on the Small Business Thinking Bigger Radio Network. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Business Radio. I'm Phil Hamlin, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here today with Diana Pander, who is an entrepreneur. She's a senior fellow at the Kaufman Foundation, and she has just recently written a book, a novel called All In Startup, that is about the trials and tribulations of starting a business. She's also written a, cur- a curriculum to accompany that. And the whole premise is that we shouldn't be teaching entrepreneurship as theory. We need to be teaching entrepreneurship as an experience to get these students out there experiencing what it's like to be an entrepreneur, to feel that uncertainty, and to take on some of the challenges and decisions that entrepreneurs have to make on a daily basis. Uh, Diana, I want to talk now about your background, about your experience, and what led you to this point. I mean, you're a serial entrepreneur yourself. Tell us about some of those businesses, uh, where they, where you took them, and how you ended up what you're doing what you're doing right now. So I've uh, been an equity owner in five companies. Um, I've sold a number of those, um, sometimes at a profit, sometimes at a loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, being an entrepreneur is a lot like being a professional poker player. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you have cash at the end of the day uh, left to keep playing, then uh, then you're doing well, and you get to keep uh, being a professional at it. And um, that's how I view entrepreneurship. You know, the successes outweigh the losses, um, and, and so I feel uh, pretty good about that. And I'm always eager to um, start or join a venture. Um, but the the way that I came to the book is um, I, after I became a senior fellow at the Kaufman Foundation, I had an opportunity to mentor a large number of entrepreneurs and um, I kept hearing them um, getting stuck at very similar moments in their entrepreneurial journey and um, it's actually the challenges that I encountered uh, myself because the things that feel productive when you start a company are not always the things that are the most important to your venture so the things that people care the most about uh, in their idea, so uh, branding your company, creating a website, or actually building the product, mm-hmm. those are not nearly as important as uh, getting customers and figuring yeah. out if anybody actually cares about your idea or is willing to pay for it. Right, right. So many ideas out there that seem great, but if you don't have paying customers, it doesn't matter how great the idea is, it'll never sustain a business. Absolutely true. Absolutely. And uh, because of uh, technology being where it is today, it is possible to test your idea um, and figure out if people are willing to pay for it uh, before you ever create anything. And so um, it's it's a very different approach to entrepreneurship. Rather than waiting until you get the final and best and perfect product in front of them, figure out why people are actually interested in your idea and what it is about it that is solving a problem for them and then build the solution uh, that they're willing to uh, pay for and that they want to buy. Elaborate on that a bit. Uh, yes, technology has allowed us to do things that used to would have taken a long time to accomplish and reach, you know, and we could only reach a very limited number of people initially. Technology's changed that. Talk to us more about how you can use technology to test an idea. Sure. Um, I'll give you two examples. The first one is if you have, uh, like, a tangible product. 
uh, that you that you want to build. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the day, like once you spend all the money on manufacturing and producing your product, uh, you're going to take uh, to either like personal sales or online sales to sell your product. But you can actually create a splash page, uh, just a one pager, to see if people will click the buy button. So you, you don't have to take credit card information, um, but you can see how many people click buy because um, at the end of the day, that the action that you'll have to take once you create your product. So mm-hmm. why not take that action first and see if people actually buy the product? You can save yourself a year and maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars building something that you can't get anyone to click the buy button for. True. And then what do you um, do when they click the buy button and, you know, there's no credit card information? Do you just say coming soon or <laughs> something like that? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean that you uh, leave it up there forever, but right. um, you, you can experiment. Uh, you know, you can create small experiments uh, that are meant to give you insights about whether your business is worth pursuing. And um, the other example is if you have a software product that you want to buy or that you want to build. Again, uh, you don't need the actual back end to be functioning in order to test whether somebody's going to click the sign-up button. Um, One of my favorite things to do with people who want to build apps for um, an iPhone or an iPad is uh, to tell people about them in any public setting and see if people actually get out their phones and try to go to the app store to try to download the app. Because if you can't get them to do that, mm-hmm. then uh, your app, you don't need to build it. You can right. save yourself a lot of effort. <laughs> so uh, it's trying to figure out, like, the ultimate customer action that you're looking for, whether it's somebody downloading something or signing up for something or paying you for something, and seeing if you can simulate that um, in some way before you take on the cost um, and effort of actually building it. Okay. So lots, lots of things that technology can do that allow us to tweak our products. And some people might say, yeah, but the marketplace is so competitive these days. If I, if I go to the, take the time to do those sorts of things, somebody might get out there before me. Isn't it better just to get it to market and then tweak it after it's to market? I've, I've heard that argument before. What do you say about that? is you can spend a lot of time and money building the wrong thing that nobody wants or maybe they want something um, different. So uh, being the first to market actually isn't uh, all it's cracked up to be. The most successful companies um, that you can point to as, like, the most successful startups are usually not the first to market in a a given industry. Mm. Um, So I'll just give you Facebook as an example. Um, It wasn't the first. Um, like online social networks where you can post pictures and see what your friends were up to. Um, but it was the most successful because the others launched something uh, and they could see what was missing and the problems that people had in using uh, those interfaces. And so they could design a product that was exactly what people wanted to use. Right. Sometimes sitting back and watching and then putting out an improved version of your competitors is a, is a very legitimate strategy. So, uh, uh, one of the things that we hear a lot about, too, these days is it's okay to fail. You know, at one point, if you were a business owner and you failed, you know, your life was over, so to speak. It was an embarrassment. It was, you know, the, you might not be able to rise above that stigma, and that's what it was, it was a stigma. But today, the message that's out there, especially among startups, the, and I'm talking more uh, in, it's about startups in the narrow sense, 
is that it's okay to fail. In fact, fail fast and then move on to something else. And it, have you seen that to be true, that that's, a, that that's really where a lot of eventually successful companies come from is previously failed businesses? Yeah, I think um, as long as you can learn from those failures. I think we do a really good job of talking about how accepted failure is uh, these days, um, but it's still not um, it's still not as accepted as, as we would like because uh, struggling entrepreneurs who are having difficulties still won't voice up and say, you know, I'm having trouble. Like everywhere you meet them, everything is perfect, everything is great. Uh, you know, they're, they have nothing but traction. Um, and so I don't think we've gotten um, far enough yet in making failures acceptable to um, have people declare uh, struggles while they're going through them and ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sorry. No, go go ahead. Uh, the other thing I would say about failures, the way that I look at it in entrepreneurship, and the reason that uh, this book takes place at the World Series of Poker is because uh, I, I think that playing poker is very analogous to starting a business. So if you play in a poker tournament, you're going to lose the vast majority of the hands you play. Um, yes. It's impossible for you to win every hand. But what you want to try to do is minimize the losses, right, so minimize how much money you lose, and then uh, – exploit the opportunity. So once you're in a hand that you think you're going to win, then put all your resources behind it. So mm-hmm. um, I, I would say don't put all your resources on a risk or a huge gamble. Try to figure out if uh, you have information about the market that's giving you reasons to believe that you're going to be successful. Yeah. You know, that's a really important distinction that you make there because a lot of people associate poker with gambling and they associate entrepreneurs with being risk takers. But really, the most successful in, in either um, of those situations, whether you're poker or whether you're starting a business, yes, there's a certain amount of risk, but it's really not a gamble because what you're doing is being very strategic. The best poker players aren't just going out there and gambling. They're very strategic throughout the game, and it's the same way with an entrepreneur. Yes, entrepreneurs are risk takers, but there's just not an all-out risk taker. Uh, you know, there's strategy behind it, and it's calculated. So I, I like that distinction that you make there. Yeah, I think um, what separates successful entrepreneurs and successful professional poker players is that they use small bets in order to find information about the market and their opportunities, mm. small bets that they can afford to lose so that they can make a number of them, right? You plant a lot of seeds and see which ones work, and that way you can afford once you find an opportunity. Now you have a lot of resources left in order to exploit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great advice there. Um, in your experience as an entrepreneur and now working with the Kauffman Foundation, which is an absolutely wonderful organization, what advice would you give our listeners today about not only starting a business, which we've talked a lot about, but sustaining that business once it's launched? Yeah, I think uh, we're talking uh, very differently about innovation uh, these days. And it's not just about building something um, different, but it's about um, building solutions to people's problems. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to have a kind of uh, media that would stop people in their tracks and uh, you could actually tell people, you could explain to people why they need something that they don't really need, right? So you used to watch TV and you couldn't fast forward on the commercials. You were just stuck there. There were only three channels. Mm-hmm. And it was really easy to disrupt them and tell them about a new product. Well, today, um, our attention, any given time, 
uh, divided between a number of different platforms, like at all times. Yeah. And on all those platforms, there's somebody trying to get us to do something or want something. So the easiest way to build companies is um, not to try to build something and then spend a lot of money on marketing convincing people that they want it, but to actually build products that solve problems for people. And not just any problem, but migraine problems. Mm-hmm. Um, problems that are so bad that they're like, oh, my God, I have been looking for this solution to uh, something that's going on in my life. Right. You know, it's interesting that you say that, and I agree with it 100%, but one of the things that I've heard over and over and over again is that it's actually a knock against some of the startups, is that it's just another app. It's just another way to connect with friends, and that very few, at least it seems, and you might have a different perspective on this, it it seems that there's very few who are really working to solve world problems, uh, to make people's lives better. How would you respond to that? Uh, I would agree with you. Um, I, but uh, you've got to understand entrepreneurs uh, and where they're coming from. Like, you come up with an idea. Wouldn't it be great if there was an app that did this? And you fall in love with it. It becomes your baby. Like, you <laughs> want to make sure that the world sees it. And I, I am guilty of this as well. Like, I get really excited about something, um, and I, I don't – uh, always takes the appropriate amount of time to figure out whether um, it's something that people actually want. Because sometimes I get excited enough about it that I'm like, it's just the world needs it, you know? Um, but if you you take the appropriate amount of time up front to figure out if it's actually solving a problem for somebody, um, you can save your resources, your time and your money um, on building things that people actually want to buy. Sure. Diane, I want to go back to your book. If someone's yeah. interested in either buying the book or donating to your cause on Indiegogo, tell us again how they would do that. Yeah, they would just go to allinstartups.com, and they could take one of the perks that's available. Um, the publisher is being very generous and allowing us to actually share a PDF version of the book um, months before the book comes out on June 30th um, with people who, um, you know, contribute at certain levels. And there are lots of great perks um, at other levels. And we'll actually be releasing more and more perks throughout the campaign, which I'm uh, really excited about. So. Okay, so allinstartup.com. Go out there. Yep. You can you can find out more about the campaign. You can donate to the campaign, find out more about the book. And, Diana, if somebody – I mean, you, you've got um, lots of information about entrepreneurship, and as you said, you've been an investor in several companies. If they want to continue this conversation with you personally, if they'd like to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yeah, they can just go to dianacander.com. Um, they can see a lot of the articles I've written about innovation and starting companies, and uh, it's a great way for them to contact me. Okay, allinstartup.com and dianacander.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today, Diana. A lot of insights, and we wish you the best with your campaign and your new book. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. And if you'd like to learn how to grow your business, you can visit www.ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Twitter at IThinkBigger or follow us on Facebook at ThinkBiggerBusinessMedia. Have a great weekend and thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.